You're live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've uh, got a great uh, friend online with me. His name is Carmi Levy. He's a tech uh, tech expert out of Toronto, and he's going to be our guest host t- today. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Wonderful to be with you, Mike. Thanks. Okay, we uh, have got a great program. We will be talking about uh, a really interesting new Alzheimer's uh, app that uh, uh, can hopefully uh, reduce the uh, the mental decline, and we'll uh, be chatting about why it's important, especially for women. Uh, statistics show that women are much more likely to be diagnosed with the condition than men. So, you know, hopefully this type of technology can help uh, close that gap. And uh, we're going to be talking about chat. GPT. They've just uh, announced uh, version 4. It's doing some incredible things and now, believe it or not, uh, they are uh, allowing plugins to be incorporated into it, which will allow it to actually connect with the internet, which is kind of an amazing thing, Carmi, because you know, the data sets they've been using, um, I thought this thing was connected to the internet. It's not at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, up until now, if you asked ChatGPT a question, um, it literally stopped in 2021 because the, the data that had been that had been used to train it, that's what it trained on, and then it was kind of like a set sort of finite thing, um, and it isn't maintained in real time. Obviously, over time they would update it, but it wasn't real time accessible. So if something happened in the news, uh, you know, today or something happened recently, ChatGPT was completely unaware of it, and it would return an error message or tell you that it does not know. Uh, whereas now, you know, by implementing plugins that uh, allow it to browse the web, uh, that closes that gap, and it and it, it closes the gap more importantly between AI-based chatbots like ChatGPT and Google search tools and other search tools, which of course are plugged into the internet, are connected in real time, uh, and that makes a really big difference because now you can you can actually use these tools to go and do things. So for example, your flight gets delayed, you can actually have the 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 uh, the, the plugin uh, go out and give you options. Tell me okay, what other airlines are flying from here? What flights are available to me? What do they cost? What do I need to do to then go and book it? So it doesn't just search for things, it actually puts all that information together. And of course, in a scenario like rebooking your flight, that's a big deal because that uses obviously up to the minute data. Um, so this is a really big change. Remember when browsers got plugins, suddenly you could customize them and make them do all sorts of wonderful things. That's really what we're seeing with ChatGPT as well as it moves into you know that next generation of its evolution, as it moves beyond just basic text, as the GPT-4 large language model gives it the capability to not just deal with text, but also video. Um, I mean, these are crazy uh, capabilities that we're just beginning to understand. We're just rolling up our sleeves. Uh, but the fact that this is happening just a few months after it became available to the public, to me, is astonishing. I've been covering this tech industry for years, and I've never seen a new technology move so quickly from the lab to millions of people using it and, and, and vendors kind of adding capability almost by the day. Your head kind of spins when you realize just how many new headlines on this are being generated day after day. The examples are incredible, and you know we're just kind of scratching the surface right now. I saw one example where um, a guy you know fed it a picture of um, the contents of his refrigerator, and ChatGPT mm-hmm. uh, identified everything, everything correctly, and then could even give uh, this guy recipes based on what was in his fridge. That's a really amazing use case, and it's probably my favorite. Yes, on the surface, it's kind of cool. You know, look at my fridge and, you know, come up with a meal plan for me. 
But as cool as it is, I think the real wonder in this is its application for those who are disenfranchised, for senior citizens, for individuals who may, may have difficulty maintaining proper nutrition, uh, you know, don't know how to, you know, fill a fridge with the right kind of foods, or uh, you maybe have difficulty finding affordable foods that are also nutritious. And so this is the, one of those enabling technologies that can uh, help us have better outcomes, help us eat better, help us eat more, more affordably, help us waste less um, and have that game-changing impact on our lives. Uh, yes, there are risks to wider use of artificial intelligence. Every technology will have its own dark side, but uh, I think we owe it to ourselves to focus on the positive applications like this uh, that can be absolutely game-changers for people who, using technologies up until now, might have found them difficult, might not have been able to, uh, to sort of unlock the potential in them. Because uh, you can do the same thing by using a search engine and kind of digging through the results. Uh, and knowing where you're going, if you're a really great user of a search engine, but no, not everyone has that skill set. In this case now, that capability is passing on to the AI-based bot, um, and it can then go scour the internet and do all this amazing stuff for you. Uh, I think that's game-changing technology, and I really do think we are on the verge of a significant revolution thanks to this very fast-moving tech. Is it not scary, though, that this thing is like truly can be connected to the internet now? It certainly is because you know, in many cases, we don't understand why they return the answers that they do. So scientists can say, yes, this is what we trained it to do. Um, and you know, these are the algorithms that we built into it, but we can't explain why it gave this particular answer this time. And then when you asked it the same question two, two minutes later, it gave a different one. They don't really understand all the machinations going on inside. Um, and so that is troubling. It's also troubling that they can't explain how they're going to protect us from misinformation, protect us from abuse, protect our data uh, from being compromised. Uh, and so there, you know, we have more questions than answers at this point. And I think, you know, we also owe it to ourselves to uh, prevail on these tech companies that are pushing these technologies uh, to be a lot more upfront about what kind of protections they're going to put in place uh, to make sure that these things don't run amok, that they don't scour the Internet and do all sorts of crazy things with what they find out. Um, that there is, when they are doing real-time searches and, and, and returns and sort of agglomerating all this information, uh, that our best interests are at heart and they are priority. Uh, and we don't have those answers yet and we have to keep asking for them. I know, but they just let the horse out of the barn. Like connecting it to the internet is like <laughs> like the world's yeah, database. Yeah. Isn't it? And and because and it is, and and because these are profit-seeking companies, what they will often do is race ahead with the technology, and then uh, you know create a business around that technology while the legislative agenda takes years to catch up. Uh, you know, it's 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 how Microsoft behaved like a bully in the early days of the internet when it used its its dominance as an operating system provider to essentially push out other browser makers. Um, and of course, eventually, uh, it was forced it was to have a reckoning by the courts. Uh, but of course, by then, the war had been fought and lost by everyone else, and Microsoft paid whatever it paid, uh, but it still achieved dominance. And so I think we need to do a better job as, society, as a society to make sure that the laws that we have in place that would protect the extreme behaviors that we've seen in past technolo technology revolutions 
um, that, that those gaps are minimized between the front edge of technology uh, and the laws that will protect us from those abuses. We've got to get better at bringing better laws on stream faster so that companies uh, like the ones that are pushing these AI-based technologies now uh, don't have years to build abusive business models before they're forced to, to uh, atone for them or forced to reckon those, those behaviors. We talked about the previous version being able to pass, you know, different type of school exams. Uh, this latest one uh, can pass the bar exam and actually score in the top ten percentile as well. Like it's better yeah, well, than it's better than yeah, yours. It is. It's. I found it interesting because I remember the first few interviews that I did when when ChatGPT was initially released using the older language model, the the, uh, the large language model. It was uh, GPT three point five. Um, and it, you know, some professors, they, they, they wrote, uh, they had it write some papers, they had them do MBA exams, and one had them do the bar exam as well. Um, and in all cases, it passed, uh, but it didn't do all that well. You know, B minus, C plus, you know, maybe in the 60s, 70s, like not, you know, it passed, but not great. Um, whereas now, now that we're sort of, we're seeing results based on this new language model, GPT-4, which is so much more advanced. Uh, than the earlier one, um, they're not just passing, they're thriving. They're the best in the class. They're top, uh, top performers. Uh, and we knew this would ha happen eventually. I am actually surprised that it's happened this quickly. Um, and I think that's kind of, the, it's setting the tone for what we can expect over the next few years. Very rapid movement in terms of its capabilities. So it goes from being eh, sort of seemingly intelligent to you know, uh, you know, almost smarter than the smartest people that you know. Uh, does this make them human or sentient? Not even remotely. And you know, anyone who claims that is the case, even now, um, is, is is looking for attention. But it doesn't matter whether it isn't sentient or not. What does matter is is that it can do things better than we can in some cases. Um, and I think we owe it to ourselves to kind of look at what those use cases are and ask ourselves, where is this technology best applied? Uh, and how are we going to have to adapt our lives accordingly? Because there are some jobs that may not survive this transition. And if you're in one of those jobs, you probably want to go in with your eyes open. We've got Carmi Levy with us uh, today. We've been talking about ChatGPT, and we will continue to talk about it in shows to come because it's just advancing exponentially, and it's something that we all need to keep up on and be aware of. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about uh, a new Alzheimer's uh, app that uh, will hopefully close the gap between uh, men and women being diagnosed uh, with this terrible disease. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, Carmi Levy with me out of Toronto, one of our tech friends as a guest host today. We're going to talk now about a cool new app called Brain Fit. And this is um, something near and dear to my heart because one of my family members has been diagnosed with this terrible disease. And you can just see the decline, uh, you know, just weekly, and it's heartbreaking. Well, there's a, an app called Brain Fit, and uh, it's designed to help women and men ward off brain aging diseases. Carmi, what I found interesting is that uh, more women are actually diagnosed with this uh, this horrible dementia uh, than men at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, including my grandmother, and I think you know your experience, which I'm really sorry to hear about, is is reflective of the fact that if you have a conversation with pretty much anyone in this country, uh, they have all had some kind of exposure to Alzheimer's, either themselves or a close family member. Um, it literally does touch us all, and in fact, those numbers are expected to skyrocket by upwards of fifty percent over the next seven or eight years. Uh, just because as the population ages. Um, and what's troubling about the trends is that more women than men are vulnerable to Alzheimer's, but a lot of the research focuses on men, not women. Um, so this app, BrainFit, which is available for free in the in the Apple and Google app stores, comes to us from an organization called the Women's Brain Health Initiative. It's a charity um, that's kind of a partnership of science, business, caregivers, um, and and uh, you know experts in the field, and their goal is to educate women on on uh, on brain health and provide funding for it. And what the SAP recognizes is that a lot of the symptoms of Alzheimer's may present themselves when we're older, but in many cases the the disease itself starts decades earlier. So by using the BrainFit app, it can uh, sort of target the kinds of activities that have been associated with. Uh, protecting against Alzheimer's, so physical activity, mental activity, go, going out for walks, bowling, drinking lots of glasses of water per day, all the things that are correlated to better outcomes and better protection against this ravaging disease. Um, but of course, you need to have, like, uh, you, you need to build those habits not late in life, but earlier as a form of protection. And so you download the app for free, it asks you a bunch of questions. And and then it makes some suggestions based on your responses and your background uh, about the kinds of activities that you should be engaged in. And then it reminds you to do them. Did you drink? Uh, you know, did you drink all your glasses of water so far this uh, today? Uh, did you engage in the exercise that you said you would? Uh, and it keeps you kind of honest and it keeps you focused on things like nutrition, exercise, stimulating your mind, social activities, getting enough sleep, managing your stress, all these what they call the pillars of brain health. Uh, and if you establish those those health those those healthy habits early on, you have a much better chance of either delaying the onset of Alzheimer's or uh, hopefully preventing it entirely. They're saying that 40% of all cases of dementia can be avoided by making changes to our lifestyle. So if we started early with a free app, why not? Uh, and every time I talk about this app, I get emails and messages from people. Where do I find it? Where do I download it? I got to start using this right now. What age are they th suggesting that people start using this and being, you know, aware of this? They're not. They're, it's interesting because normally, you know, we have the Alzheimer's conversation in sixties, seventies, eighties. They're not. They're not suggesting an age. They're saying anybody should start using it, um, and because uh, in many cases that the damage from dementia starts happening silently in a stealthy manner decades before the symptoms actually start showing up. So you could be in your 30s or your 40s, and if you're not engaging in those six pillars of healthy behavior, you are at significant risk. You're probably already starting to suffer the damage that will result in Alzheimer's symptoms decades from now. So there is no or, you know, you know, early age or cutoff or anything, no matter how old you are. Uh, it's it's the, the you know the best practice is start engaging in these activities now. Use the app if it'll help. Do you use any of these kind of apps? These kind of fitness or nutrition apps? 
Um, I mean, I have a, I have a Garmin smartwatch and I use the Garmin staff to manage my physical activities. So walking, running, riding my bike, making sure that I get all the physical activity that I drink enough because it has reminders for that too. And then tracking my metrics over time. I'm a bit of a data wonk. I throw things into spreadsheets just to analyze them and see how they, uh, how they <laughs> of evolve course. over time. But that takes a lot, you know, it takes a lot of commitment, but at the same time, um, it's worth it for me. You know, I, I suffered a stroke a few years ago, so I've got to watch my health pretty carefully um, to ensure that, you know, I don't expose myself to the risk factors that would uh, that would lead to a recurrence. So um, I've got you know, huge visibility into it. And coming from a family where uh, a lot of individuals, including my father, did not pay a whole lot of attention to it. Now that we have technology that make this ridiculously easy, I can literally look, look at my wrists and see how I'm doing today. Uh, we owe it to ourselves to do it. They're not expensive. You can buy a, a tracker for fairly, you know, fairly inexpensively, and it connects you to, in many cases, you don't have to even subscribe to the software. Uh, those software, like for example, in Garmin's case, it's available for free. Same thing with Apple. You can subscribe to it as part of a Fitness Plus subscription, or you don't have to, but you still get some benefits too. Either way, you're leading a healthier life. We're talking about an app called BrainFit that uh, you know supposedly will help you reduce the uh, the chances of uh, getting aging dementia type of uh, diseases like Alzheimer's. Uh, I I do like these apps, Carmi, because you know we all know we're supposed to drink so much water. We know we're supposed to get enough sleep, but when you have these apps. They actually the, the the great thing is because we have our smartphones or these you know these fitness trackers it it's actually reminding us all the time and so it kind of gets us in a habit doesn't it it really does and you know there's something to be said for the gamification of health uh, in that you know it puts a number around it it makes you aware it vibrates to tell you hey you haven't walked in a while maybe you should get up or even if I'm in the middle of working it'll it'll remind me just just dance around the office work a minute or so and then get back to work it makes a huge difference not only in your physical state but your mental state because if your body is healthier then your mind is healthier too um and so you know the fact that i have something visual right in front of me and it's tied to my wrist means that it keeps me honest that i can't slack off today that i have i've, I've had a fitness goal that's been going on you know this streak and i've been doing i've been hitting all my metrics now for the last three months straight I don't want to give up on that today. And yes, I'm tired. And yes, it's late at night. And I really wish I could just sort of sit here and, and watch what I have on the PVR. But I really got to go out and close, you know, if it's an Apple device, close my rings or hit my metrics for the day so that I don't lose that streak. That is an incredibly powerful motivator. And it makes a huge difference between fitness or whatever passes for not fitness. Um, and, and honestly, considering, like, like again, you know, this, this watch didn't cost me a whole lot, uh, and I'm not paying for a subscription for it, yet I'm getting huge amounts of benefit from it. And so anyone who's sort of looking for something that sort of gets them into it and keeps them into it so they don't, you know, drop that resolution a month after New Year's, these are the technologies that will do it, and they're getting better and better by the day. Smartwatches are so much smarter than they were even a couple of years ago. And for many people, and I'll say that I'm in, in that group, they can save lives. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about social media platforms. TikTok's been in the news a lot, but are the other platforms just as bad? Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Carmi Levy with me today. Don't forget to hit our website on a regular basis, getconnectedmedia.com. Got lots of great content up there, the latest uh, how-to videos, tips and tricks, and, of course, our radio shows and podcasts as well, getconnectedmedia.com. TikTok 
continually in the news. The U.S. government's going after them like crazy. Um, but, you know, are all social media platforms having similar issues that TikTok have? Uh, before we get to that conversation, though, Carmi, this week, um, the I guess the uh, the CEO of uh, TikTok U.S. went up uh, uh, with Congress, basically, where they grilled him. Yeah, he did not have a good day. And I don't think we expected him. His name is Shushi Chu. He's the CEO of TikTok, which, of course, is owned by uh, ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. So he went to Washington to testify in front of Congress, really a kind of like a charm offensive, a PR effort to try to illustrate to Congress people that, you know, what they're hearing about TikTok is not uh, the reality that the company does safeguard uh, data, that it isn't sharing it with the Chinese government, um, you know. Know that you know all the things that you've heard there's there's a context for them um, and it completely did not work almost from the get-go he was he was grilled for most of the day and almost from like the first question asked he was being interrupted in the middle of his responses basically saying why should we believe you uh, we don't believe you uh, you know like that's not a good enough explanation uh, combative nasty belligerent you name it I've been watching these congressional grillings for years, uh, and I thought the worst one was when Mark Zuckerberg was in last year. He never does well at these things. Um, and, and I think politicians have learned to really despise him. Uh, this one was on a whole other level. Uh, it was al- I almost felt like making popcorn and pulling up a chair and watching because uh, this guy was getting just absolutely roasted. Uh, and for good reason, right? TikTok is, uh, it consumes a huge amount of data from our devices, and unlike uh, Facebook or Instagram, which are owned by an American company, Meta, um, they're owned by Chinese companies. So you're never quite sure where the data goes. Uh, and his assurances notwithstanding, uh, he didn't do a whole lot to convince us that, you know, like, like this isn't the way the company operates. So if he was hoping to stave off further government action against his company, uh, he failed miserably. Um, and arguably, TikTok is closer to uh, some kind of catastrophic event, whether it's a full-on ban in the U.S. or maybe a forced sale, something's got to give at some point because lawmakers clearly are not happy. You know, I, I get this question asked a lot, you know, are they going to just shut TikTok down in the U.S.? But yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah. No, I don't either. I think it makes for a really great headline, Mike, but the reality is, is, is to, first of all, that's never been done before. It's unprecedented that a government in the U.S. or anywhere has... Uh, or any, let's let's say, democratic country, because in non-democratic countries it happens all the time. But, you know, in a country like the U.S., that uh, an app has been forcefully shut down and that the entire economy around it went dark as well. Um, so I think that is the nuclear option, and I don't think it's going to go there. I think the threat of it uh, is forcing TikTok to perhaps respond more aggressively than it would otherwise. And I think that's the U.S. government's end game. That's the plan. Uh, I think more likely where this will end up is in a forced sale to an American company, which uh, if we remember back a few years ago, Donald Trump very famously signed an executive order ordering TikTok to do exactly the same thing, sell itself to an American company. Walmart at one point was front of the line to buy the the American assets and kind of incorporate them into its business. Uh, But that deal ultimately fell apart. It was challenged in federal court. Uh, So, you know, it's if you're feeling this is deja vu, there's a reason for it. Uh, And uh, but I think, you know, things are worse now. A lot more people are using TikTok TikTok now than we're using it a few years ago. It's a much bigger economy. I think the concerns are that much greater. And I think uh, especially after the experience 
this with Elon Musk buying Twitter, um, I think our concerns about not just TikTok, but social media in general are much more pronounced. Um, and so I think we're having this, this debate over TikTok today, but uh, I think if you're a Twitter or if you're a Meta uh, or any other company, uh, we'll be coming for you soon as well because, you know, they've been essentially <laughs> hiding in the shadows for now. Um, but, you know, they shouldn't because we should have this conversation about the entire industry because they all use the same predatory practices. They're all using our data against us um, and in, in ways that unfortunately compromise our ability to live a proper digital life. So uh, today, TikTok, but tomorrow, I really hope Twitter. But this this hearing, I mean, these guys already had their mind made up. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. They they were not. It was, it was pointless. It, it was pointless. I don't even know why they do that, other than for show. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's pure political theater, um, and 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 to show their their stakeholders, their constituents, that they're you know supporting the American perspective. Uh, they want voters back home because if you're a congressperson, that's exactly the way it works. You've got to show that you went to Washington and you made a difference and you you held big companies like TikTok to account. So when you go back to your to your uh, to your jurisdiction, you ask for their vote again because they're always running for something um, that, you know, you can put that on your record. What I found fascinating here was it was bipartisan. It didn't matter who, who, who you were, if you were Republican or Democrat, everybody was taking their shots at TikTok. Um, and there's support from both sides of the aisle. And so, yeah, it's political theater. But at the same time, it, it, I think it's forcing the U.S. and by extension Canada, because we've enacted our own ban on U.S. Gov on uh, Canadian government devices, federally, uh, federal employees, devices they've been issued by their, their leads, um, that, you know, we've had to have, have this conversation for a very long time. And we haven't. Um, you know, data harvesting, data leakage, uh, the use of this data in malevolent uh, uh, ways that run counter to uh, citizens, citizens' rights, citizens' best interests uh, that are you know, either right up to the edge of the law or beyond crossing that line, moral and ethical lines, legal lines. Um, we've had to have this conversation for years and we haven't. And so if it takes TikTok for us to you know, finally get to that point, then I think most of us would be okay with that. And I think this is healthy. So, you know, have your political theater on Capitol Hill. Uh, but if that kickstarts another longer term process to finally reckon with this digital economy that, quite frankly, is incredibly damaging to us all, uh, then I think this you know, will ultimately see this as a good thing. But I really do hope that our legislators, both in the U.S. and especially here in Canada, recognize that at some point you've got to get constructive. You've got to have a better framework. And all of those fireworks have to give way to just really great lawmaking. Uh, and if we get there, then I think this entire crazy, messy process will have been worth it. Sorry, did you say great lawmaking? <laughs> one, <laughs> one can always hope, Mike, right? <laughs> I'm an optimist. What can I say? <laughs> so, but one one interesting thing, uh, as they're like dicing uh, Chew up, basically chewing him <laughs> apart, um, it you know, they were saying, or he was saying, Chu was saying that uh, TikTok collects data that's frequently collected by many other companies in our industry. And that's backed up by the Washington Post. They looked into TikTok's data collection. There was an, another Taiwan uh, Taiwanese research company that did the same. And they basically both came out and said, they're not really any different than the other tech giants in, in data collection. Uh, he's right to a certain extent. Everyone collects the information, but when where does Facebook, it go? Exactly. So you know, Facebook is collecting that information, and they are using it to ruthlessly try to sell me stuff I don't need or want. 
it's for marketing purposes or they'll sell it to third party marketing partners and you know I'll get these emails and messages and whatever um, so that's like I understand that I don't like it but I sort of accept it as the price I pay for a digital life um, the, the the flip side with TikTok is yes they also use all that data for advertising marketing purposes but then it's it can potentially go to a Chinese source and be used in ways that I don't know and cannot control. It's way beyond marketing. Now we're into politics. Uh, and once it starts crossing national lines, I think that's where we, we, we really do need greater assurances from the company that they are protecting our data. And they have said many times, you know, the data is in is in Singapore, in the US, it doesn't go to China. But then we heard leaked audio from meetings of ByteDance in China where Chinese employees admitted that they use backdoors to access data that was harvested from North American users. So, you know, they say one thing, they, you know, proof comes out that something else is going on. I don't feel comfortable about this, and I don't think anyone else should either. Uh, I still don't believe them, and I still won't believe them going forward until uh, essentially those, those ties between China and the rest of us are cut. So how long before they're forced to sell, uh, if, if you had a crystal happen. ball? Uh, I would say by summer, we should have uh, some options on the table. Uh, and by the end of the year, whatever deal happens will have been closed and the company will already be considered American. Um, and those sort of those lines between those connecting connector points between uh, uh, North America and China will have been cut. Uh, but I think at the same time, I, you know, I'm, I'm staring at my iPhone now, which was manufactured at a facility in China using components that were provided by Chinese subcontractors. And so I think not just uh, TikTok, but, you know, any other company that is making hardware or software from China, I think we should look at this, too, and ask ourselves, well, if we're saying TikTok is a clear and present danger to our integrity, uh, what about the hardware? That we Carmi, all Carmi, all the electronics I'm looking at right now, my phone, my laptop, my tablet, they're all, I mean, the majority of the components are made in China. Yeah, exactly. And and that has been that's been a problem for the decades that 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 has been the case since we decided as a society that we would no longer manufacture these things close to home, that we would outsource them, offshore them to countries like China or primarily China because it was cheaper and easier and more efficient and it would allow us to pay uh, $1500 for our iPhone instead of $3000. That's really what this is all about. And I think a lot of people they speak out of both sides of their mouth. They're like I really don't like all these connections to countries that I'm not really a fan of. Uh, but when you ask them if they would spend double on their hardware to make it closer to home, uh, they look at you like you know you're you're completely off your rocker. And so I think we really need to question that as well. We have a globalized technology economy that forces a lot of manufacturing to happen in places that may not necessarily be interested in our freedom or our data integrity. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves the question if that's a trade-off we're willing to continue to make. It's not just about TikTok anymore. Well, this story is just going to continue to grow and we'll keep following it. We're going to take a break here on the App Show. When we come back, a couple more stories we're going to talk about. Uh, one is about the metaverse. Facebook, I guess, uh, gambled billions of dollars on uh you know the metaverse uh being the next big thing hasn't really worked out that way but it now looks like that they uh, are admitting that it's kind of just really virtual reality and we're going to talk about a microsoft uh, vulnerability that you need to know about that could affect you even before you open a malicious email back after this you are back with the program mike agarbo here 
Got Carmi Levy with me today. Uh, I want to quickly talk about this uh, Microsoft uh, vulnerability that's in the news uh, this week that uh, can affect users even before they open a malicious email. What's, what are the details? This is a scary one, Mike. The Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity is warning uh, that Microsoft Outlook, they sent an alert out basically saying there's a weakness that they discovered in Microsoft Outlook that could allow someone to send a message to someone. And normally speaking, you only have, you, you, you as the recipient have to open the message, click on something in order to activate that malicious payload. Uh, but in this case, you don't. The mere fact that they've sent you the message that it hits your inbox, that can allow the payload to then steal uh, your identity and that would then subsequently be used in identity theft attack. They're calling it a zero-day vulnerability, which basically means uh, it's not a theoretical risk. It's a real one. It's out there. So we all have zero days to you know tighten our defenses. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that the fix is already available. So if you're using Outlook in any way, so if your company uses an Outlook server or uses Outlook 365, the, the web-based version, all you need to do is make sure that you have applied all of the fixes that are available to you from Microsoft. So you go into your security settings or you talk to your IT people or you look at the setup on your laptop or whatever device you're using and just make sure that all of the security uh, fixes, patches um, that you've been getting notifications for, because you should be getting notifications for them, uh, that you have said, yes, please install this immediately. And while you do, and, and once you do that, you're, you've, you've now shut the door on this vulnerability. You are no longer vulnerable to it terrifying that you don't have to interact with it, uh, but this is another reminder that if you maintain good patch management protocol uh, and your behaviors are really, you know, you're always watching for the new of it, the new updates and you're applying them as soon as they're available or you set them to automatically install, then you absolutely minimize your exposure to this kind of risk. But most people should have automatic security updates kind of set on, right? Isn't it a default? It should be, uh, but it isn't always the case. And sometimes you might install another app or you might install an update that turns that setting off. And so it's a good thing to go into your settings and just make sure, you know, do it every month or so. Just put it on your calendar. So just go into your settings and eyeball them and just make sure they're still where you want them to be um, and that there isn't anything outstanding. You want everything to be applied, installed, uh, and then you'll be absolutely safe. Uh, it's when you sort of get out of that practice and you lose sight of, the patching process in the background that opens the door for vulnerabilities to squeak in because you're running old code and there are new threats out there that are taking advantage of it well let's move over to uh the metaverse now carmy and this is a, an interesting story uh facebook actually renamed their parent company meta i guess in the anticipation that the metaverse would explode and make them trillions of dollars but it uh, seems it really hasn't gone mark zuckerberg's way they've laid off tens of thousands of people to reduce costs uh even their own employees don't like using their metaverse <laughs> headsets and software um so it's kind of interesting what's happening there. But now there's uh, another story out of Europe. And uh, the the mobile carriers over there are trying to uh, pressure the lawmakers or regional lawmakers to force major content providers, uh, tech giants like Meta, uh, to pay them a fee for carrying their data. Kind of a, a double dipping, if, if you will. Sort of, although if you think about it, every, every, this is shared responsibility. If you're a company introducing... Uh, products that create a huge demand on networking. And, uh, in other words, they force a lot of traffic over the wire. 
um, then you know re it's reasonable that the companies that build those networks and and create those wires uh, should you know should not be overwhelmed in much the same way that you know like cities uh, make us pay to use the roads and when we overwhelm the roads like it's going to cost us more we have to pay more taxes to build more roads and maintain them it's kind of the same thing here who's going to pay to maintain our digital roads and you know and conceivably the european union is starting to study whether the companies that make these bandwidth intensive services like the metaverse whether they should pay their fair share so it, they're just beginning to study it and the eu is saying like we're, we're nowhere near a decision on this yet but already meta is uh is you know sort of figuring out that this is not good for their business and so they, they you know two of their senior vps published uh, a blog post basically you know they didn't mince words they called it a false promise they called it nonsense they called this proposed network to be arbitrary uh, and they were they were talking about uh about the metaverse and they were essentially saying it's not going to add a lot of traffic to it it's really nothing more than virtual reality or or augmented reality it's not that big of a deal so like it's kind of ironic that facebook is opposed that meta is opposed to uh being charged to move data across networks and they don't even want to have the discussion and in in trying to defend their position they've essentially sold out that this big bet that they're making on the metaverse they basically basically said it's really just nothing more than you know lipstick on a pig it's <laughs> artificial you know it's ar or vr uh you know you know in with a little bit of marketing spin on it which i find amusing considering that the company is spending 10 billions of dollars a year on this to develop it and as you said your employees don't even want to use it and senior leaders have been sending increasingly desperate sounding emails saying please use it and provide feedback to it um to no avail uh because it kind of reminds them of an eight foot in an eight-bit nintendo game it's that bad uh so you know like like come on you know where are you at on this right you're developing you've bet the company on this metaverse future clearly it's not working out now even your own senior leaders are admitting it's not all that great um, and so, you know, who are we to believe? Uh, and what I find interesting is, obviously, the, the shiny new object in tech is not the metaverse. It's artificial intelligence. It's chatbots. Uh, and where is Meta on those? It made an announcement, but it certainly doesn't have anything that's shipping now. So I think Mark Zuckerberg is kind of worried that he might have backed the wrong horse. Uh, and certainly his senior leaders aren't helping dispel that notion. I think he did bet on the wrong horse because AI is just like taking the world by storm right now. Even Google issued a, like a, a red alert to its entire company, uh, basically mm -hmm. saying that they need to focus all the resources on AI or they will be bypassed uh, by others. Microsoft has put, you know, tens of billions of dollars into uh, open AI, which makes chat GPT. So I think that's the, the the horse race right now. So to your point, um, you know, VR, virtual reality, virtual reality in the metaverse, it's something. But I still think we're years away from anything meaningful that uh, normal people would want to use. Carmi, I want to thank you for joining us on the program again today. Wonderful being here with you, Mike. Thank you so much. I want to, listeners to visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. We've got uh, some great info up there. You can also uh, get links to our radio shows, including our sister show, Get Connected, and all the related podcasts uh, as well. I want to thank all the other folks that helped put uh, this program uh, together, and we will see you again next time.